Ishwar, I'm going to start with you. What the heck is an NFT? I think the world is trying to figure it out. This show is all about separating hype from fundamental change. I'm Paul Jarley, Dean of the College of Business here at UCF. I've got lots of questions. To get answers, I'm talking to people with interesting insights into the future of business. Have you ever wondered, is this really a thing? On to our show. On March 11th, CryptoPunk 3100, a piece of digital art sold for $7.6 million with an NFT. That broke the record set the day before by CryptoPunk 7804, which had sold for $7.5 million. Then on March 21st, Beeple's The First 5,000 Days sold for $69.3 million. Needless to say, people took notice. I took notice. Well, honestly, Josh told me to take notice. I was hesitant. This all seemed pretty esoteric. Techno geeks with stupid money doing techno geeky things, I thought. But then Forbes did an article. I noticed Christie's auction house was involved. And so I started to send some emails and make some phone calls. My resident blockchain guy had an interest in this. The Dean of Arts and Humanities, Jeff Moore, put me in contact with an artist interested in NFTs. The kicker was Jeff Stokes. Jeff is a member of my Dean's Advisory Board with BNY Mellon, who put me in contact with their digital asset guy. If Alexander Hamilton's bank was interested in NFTs, I figured I should be too. So to shed some light on this new phenomenon, we have with us today Ishwar Venagopal, who is an assistant professor here in the finance department at UCF, Carla Poindexter, who is a professor of art at UCF, and Lori Keogh, who is the Director of Digital Assets and Blockchain at BYN Mellon. Listen in. Ishwar, I'm going to start with you. What the heck is an NFT? An NFT is basically a certificate of ownership of a digital good, basically giving artists an ability to offer limited editions of their artwork. I'm going to use artists as an example over here since we have Carla over here, but I'm, I have a problem with that, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll come to it later on. But uh, the idea is that you have a certificate of ownership and uh, it, is a, it is a limited edition product and uh, it is more of a digital collection rather than a physical good. That's, that's how it has been envisioned. But things have been changing rapidly. These days, if you take some of the latest NFTs that are being minted, there is a physical asset to it. One guy actually sold his house as an NFT. So uh, things are a little bit blurry now, but uh, if you take a look at it from a property perspective, it is just an ownership as a consumption coup. That's it. Okay, let me be old school for a minute yeah. so I can understand this a little better. I can purchase an original Monet. I, I would go to a, someone who would be an expert in Monet's who would say, yes, Monet really painted this. <laughs> and I would spend a gazillion dollars and I would put that Monet on my wall. But other people could reproduce that Monet. So when I buy the original Monet, I also didn't really buy the intellectual property or the licensing of that Monet. All I bought was the original Monet. Carla, do you agree? That's how this world used to work. Definitely. But you can also purchase the copyright. So. Yeah, but, but that would be separate though, right? Definitely. That would be a separate box. 
Right. The uh, the Monet is probably, it depends on the piece, but sometimes it's an open source image. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes it is not. Okay. So that is the difference. I want to stay in the world I, I think I know, and then we'll move to the world that I think we're going to be in. I mean, the other analogy for me was, is I'm a big baseball card collector. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I've seen that a few... Akil Badu, who's this rookie for the Detroit Tigers, has actually issued one, an NFT. So I, I have a little bit of knowledge in the collectible area, only enough to be dangerous here. But the first thing I want to understand is what I actually own. I own a certificate of authenticity. Right. Uh, let me actually give you an example with the baseball card. So the, the entire thing about NFT started with something called as CryptoKitties. I'm not sure you know. CryptoKitties. Okay. So it's basically similar to uh, baseball cards, yeah. but a digital version with cats pictures on them. That's how the entire thing started off. And essentially what you're owning over there is the rights of ownership, or you can even think about it from a copyright perspective, uh, to that particular uh, uh, call, uh, kitty or, or uh, kitty, right? The same way you have an authenticated baseball card, here you have a digital authenticated certificate of ownership. And it basically says that nobody else can can claim ownership to this particular image, right? And the image is basically a set of uh, lines of quotes. That's it. So you are, you can claim uh, in, in the public market saying that I'm the one who owns this baseball card or a CryptoKitty card, and it can be easily verified. Uh, and it can be verified digitally. If you have the baseball card, you have to call in and say, uh, I, I don't know about that world, but... Uh, you probably have to call an authenticator and yeah. somebody has to come in and uh, verify the certificate of ownership and all of this. This thing uh, just makes that process a bit easier and quicker. Let's talk about what's actually in the blockchain. If Carla had produced a, a work of art uh, for our listeners, Carla is a painter by trade. She did a digital painting and she put it out for bid on for an NFT. If somebody were to purchase that NFT, her artwork isn't actually in the blockchain, correct? That's correct. Okay. Uh, so what's is it a link to the site? Is it a web address? What's in the blockchain? So let me give you an example. I tried minting an NFT uh, last week. I took a picture of a monkey uh, in Houston. I just uploaded it uh, to uh, Radable and uh, linked it to my uh, Ethereum uh, wallet. And I tried minting it. So when I mint it, what happens is that Rarible has a unique code for my artwork, or in this case, a picture of a monkey. And uh, this particular picture gets uploaded uh, into Rarible's database, and there's a link to it, and there's a unique identifier. I can upload the full uh, full quality image, or I can upload uh, a lower quality image. It doesn't matter, right? There's a unique ID in Rarible for that particular thing. And that is the ID that gets embedded into the blockchain. So it is not the actual image that is being uploaded into the blockchain, rather a reference to it. And uh, this reference is, is sort of your, uh, is your identification for that particular image. So essentially no image is, is being uploaded into the blockchain. It becomes overwhelming for the blockchain to handle this. I'm placing a couple of bets here, I think. First, I'm betting that the company has actually verified that you were the real creator of this, that you just didn't pick something off the web, right? <laughs> right, and, okay. and decide to throw that in. Um, so what is the verification process like? 
that that is where things get a bit murky, and I'm and uh, I'm not clear on how Rarible does this. Uh, Rarible basically says that, or at least uh, all uh, platforms basically say that we uh, we verify whether this person has the raw image, or or uh, if it's a 3D art, they ask for the source file. If the source file is there with this particular person, that's how they verify the ownership. However, that's not a foolproof way of doing things. I'm assuming that these platforms go ahead on the web and do an image comparison with whatever is existing out there and uh, see if those links back to you. That's one way of verifying. Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure how each platform is doing it. Okay. Then secondly, I have to assume that that company and its website and address is going to continue in operation. Yes. That's the hope actually. Uh, but if .com and uh, even the recent ICO boom and bust is any uh, evidence, it, it may not be true in the long run. It, it may be true for the next five years, but who knows what's going to happen in the next 10 years. What are the fees, Ishwar? Yeah. yeah, the fees are supposed to be very high. Yeah. So the fees really depends on how much pressure is there on the blockchain at this point of time. Uh, given that the last couple of weeks has been crazy and everybody's buying a lot of uh, Bitcoins and Ethereum. Uh, the pressure is higher, therefore the fees are normally higher. On average, the fees have been in the range of $30 just to say that this image belongs to this person. So get an entry into blockchain. And, and that particular part uh, is, is uh, $30. But if you want to actually list your item for sale, then you have to move to something called as an auction website. Uh, I used OpenSea. And over there, the fees was again roughly around $40 or something. So just right off the bat, before I even sell it, uh, it's $80. And on top of it, uh, there's a 2.5% commission uh, for Rarible, and they take the cut off. The good thing about this is that I get a royalty every time this uh, image is being sold and resold. Right, The first time, I get the 100%. But every time it is being resold, right? if, if I'm a popular artist, probably Carla uh, has more experience on this. If her uh, piece is getting resold, I probably get, uh, I set it as 10%, but uh, many people, you have the option to set it as uh, 20 or even 100%. That royalty keeps coming. That is not the case in uh, in today's uh, scenario. Yes, Spotify and other uh, mediums allow uh, artists to get royalty, but it is not set up in this way that you get life lifelong uh, royalties. And at least not to this extent. 10% is a huge number in today's standards. That's the beauty of it, I think, because when an artist sells an artwork, they receive whatever. But when that gets resold and resold, the artist receives nothing. Yeah, and, especially the physical work. Yes, right. That's true. Yeah. And I think that's why this has been invented. And I think that's what is so exciting about it. That's very helpful, Carla. So the incentive from the artist is to be able to capture more of the future revenue stream in the resale market of the item. Definitely. Is that right, Ishwar? Yeah, Arla, yeah. we got that right? Definitely, that's the beauty of the whole thing because okay. imagine as a young person selling a piece of art for $1,000 and then later in your life, when you have established a reputation, right. the same piece gets sold for 20000 The original artist never sees anything. So, Lori, why did the bank become interested in NFTs? We got involved and our interest in why we're interested in NFTs is 
is simple in many ways. It's because our clients have started asking us about NFTs. Um, some of our clients on the wealth management side have started purchasing NFTs and they've got in touch with the bank to understand how we can custody them. Um, and also we're getting early stage questions in relation to, you know, over time, um, as you know, these NFTs, you know, increase in value or some of them are already valuable um, to Carla's points just there. Um, you know, can we, could they be used as items of collateral um, over time? So I, I think what we're seeing is, you know, NFTs as a potential, um, you know, are they a potential store of value as well as being, you know, something that I guess consumers may, may collect and, and engage with. I, for me on the NFT front, and, and this, I think, plays neatly into what Carla was talking about there. The way I think about NFTs is, is down to three things. So A, M, C. A is accessibility. NFTs provide access to something, um, which was, you know, especially pieces of art or very expensive pieces of art or luxury cars, as the case may be, and provides access to things like that, that were were unavailable for, you know, most of society, right? I, I wish I could afford a, and a Rembrandt, but I can't, but I may be able to, to afford a, a non-fungible token or a, a token representing a small part. And then, so that accessibility piece is that, that term that gets, gets used a lot. The second area is M, and that stands for marketplace. It creates a marketplace where people can buy and sell um, these tokens or um, whatever we want to call these, uh, or NFTs. And then the final piece is community, is C. And I think the community piece is actually the really interesting part of this. So growing up here in Ireland, we used to, I used to have um, football or soccer cards in the US, you know, so you have baseball, baseball cards and things card like that. Collector. You joined us late, yeah. Exactly, right? So um, really, but that was, and that was cool. And I could, I could, you know, trade those with my friends, but I was limited in terms of, the the folks I could exchange those with and um, now due to the internet um, obviously I could I could do that anywhere but I think what non-fungible tokens have brought about is and which is really interesting is that it is the convergence and merging of the of um, fan experiences in terms of physical and digital and I think the Kings of Leon have done that incredibly well and I think they're going to be actually we're, we're only at the start of that happening so the Kings of Leon issued a bunch of NFTs. We're now into musicians yeah. here. Yeah, okay. It, exactly. So they, they issued as part of their latest album a bunch of NFTs. Mm-hmm. And if you bought a bunch of them built into the NFT, because it's programmable, right? It's a programmable piece of technology that, that you own. And this is really where the magic is. They built in this kind of, this Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory golden ticket golden piece. <laughs> exactly. But, but what it did is that the golden ticket gave you access or will give you access when we're back doing all this great stuff um, to a front row seat or to meet the band backstage. So what you're seeing is this blending of fan engagement at a physical level, but also at a digital level. And I think we're going to see a whole host of more of those initiatives, which are going to be unlocked through things like NFTs. If, if I were to make the naysayers argument, it would be this. And this is where I started when I first discovered NFTs. There's stupid liquidity in the market right now. There, there's a bunch of money running around. It's got to attach itself to, to something. And now it's attaching itself to a digital asset because there ain't enough things for it to attach to. And when, and when the world gets back to normal, this will all go away. Jeez. Um, what can I say there? I think... <laughs> 
I, I think there's a number of points. I think the world going back to normal, I don't, I don't know what that world is going to look like, right? I think the genie's out of the bottle at post-COVID. So I think COVID has accelerated digital agendas for companies and for individuals all around the world. Um, and I think people are interested in, um, in communities now more so than ever. We want to be part of something where we felt that we weren't in the past. If, I'll give you an example. If I, if I go to New York and I, I go visit a, a museum or something like that, you know, it's interesting. I'll go back home and I might tell my mom, you know, I was there and I saw this painting. But actually, I now have a, a mechanism where I'm able to I'm able to bring her into what that story looks like. I'm able to purchase a, an NFT or a token. I'm able to pass it on to her. She's now part of that story. She understands what that piece of art is, the history associated to it. And there's there is that community associated with it. She may want to purchase more tokens, as the case may be. She want to pass them with somebody else. So for me... I think there's there's value in that level of ownership. I don't think it's pure uh, speculation, um, and I think there's I think there is. It comes back to that community play, um, and, and I think we're we're at the beginning. Do you think the consumption side is more important than any of, than the investment side? This because part of what you're talking about is consume. What you're talking about there is really experience consumption. You're purchasing the experience to consume that experience. Um, which is different than I think this asset's going to appreciate in value and I'm going to be able to sell it at a multiple some years in the future. I, and I think it's both. And I think there'll yeah. be, you know, I, I think as, you know, I'm a regular Joe. Why would I, if I see a potential for um, an asset to appreciate in value and I can afford that asset, well, you know, I might, I might go down that path and, and, and make that investment as the case may be as part of a balanced portfolio, naturally. But the, if there's an opportunity to, to purchase something instead of buying, you know, uh, a, a MoMA pen, for example, right? Um, I'm able to do something a bit more interesting and I'm able to pass that on. I'm also able to bring that person, the recipient of my gift into the world of NFTs. So they're not only getting that, that NFT in the story about the painting, but I'm also bringing them into how this whole world works, which I think is also another angle. So it's, it's an interesting one. I was talking to somebody yesterday about this and they were saying, they asked me, would I be interested in potentially purchasing a, a, a token or an NFT, which represents part of a, a forest um, where I'm actively contributing to the decarbonization of an area? And, and the answer, I, I actually, my gut response was, tell me more, tell me more, I'm interested. So I think the, the consumption side and the investment side I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, actually. I, I actually think they can converge. And that's probably where you've got an even better story. I love what you're saying, Laurie, because that's the whole thing about art. There's the, the, uh, the community and the activity of investing in an artist. And then there's the other side that more people tend to think about when they're not interested in art. And that is the uh, investment side. And I think the community side has to come first, and then it becomes authentic. You were talking about reputable companies come, getting into this and looking into it. And I think uh, I love it when somebody, someone says, think about an NFT uh, supporting an artist. Someone purchases that token, purchases that artwork, and that allows the artist's reputation to grow. And it's not so much about the thinking that, oh, Someday I'll get to pass this along and make money. Of course, that's part of it. But entering into it from the point of the consumer, I think, is a good way to talk. 
Love it. I mean, what do you think, Ishwar? I want, I want you to react to my comment about stupid liquidity. Okay. Uh, yes, there's a lot of stupid liquidity over here. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, just let me take a step back and, and see where the whole NFT thing came from. So I mentioned CryptoKitties a while ago, uh, right? The company that uh, started uh, this CryptoKitty, the first thing that they want to do was uh, do uh, NFTs for real estate. And they decided not to do it because of the regulatory pushback that they got. To both Carla and, uh, and uh, Laurie's point, community actually comes first in these, these things. Uh, this started off as a toy, as Chris Dixon would say it. Uh, and uh, it, it has garnered a large enough community now that regulators have uh, started uh, taking notice of it. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of liquidity over there. And I, I wouldn't buy the argument that uh, uh, things are going to go back uh, to normal or at least what it was before after the COVID pandemic, just because uh, people won't have enough time uh, uh, playing with this thing. Because uh, there's already enough interest that this is uh, now a self-fulfilling prophecy, a prophecy in a way, actually. More and more people are getting into it. And uh, it's not going to be just with the art market. The, that's that's what I said I, earlier. I had a problem yeah. with NFT being uh, more hyped with the art market. Rather, uh, IBM and IPV, they have uh, they have been in talks about putting patents, the entire patent system, mm-hmm. uh, onto the uh, NFT platform or as NFTs, and therefore uh, trying to evaluate how much each patent is worth by buying and selling. There's an active secondary market for that. And also even Academia, if you think about it. Academia can use the form of an NFT. If you think about it, uh, we pay fees to the journals uh, to get our work published. And the journals ask universities to pay uh, subscription fees. And uh, the authors themselves in many cases won't have the copyrights to these things. Rather, uh, if you put it on an NFT, uh, you actually give credit to these authors. You can monetize it if the patent becomes uh, successful or uh, an industry uh, source uses your model. What keeps you up the most at night about NFTs, Barry? I, 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 look, I thought I thought some of the points that were made earlier there were great. Around, I think it's I think it's difficult to purchase, right? I think the um, the friction associated with them that will get solved, right? That's just technology in an early stage and a, and a new wave of technology that gets solved and gets solved quite fast. And, and I think it already is beginning to, right? And that's number one. Number two, I think on the on the you know the energy intensive nature associated with them, I think that is a consideration. But I also see that getting solved as we move away from you know the complex uh, consensus mechanisms in terms of proof of work to proof of stake to other new ones that'll emerge. So although I don't have a solution right now, I do think that that will get solved. Um, so that's number two. And number three, I do think also as well. Sometimes it can be, and Ashwar was talking about this, it can be very expensive to to actually you know purchase the token. Um, not the token price, but the actual process in terms of paying the, the the gas fee or the associated fees to purchase it. So I think that's another area that will get solved. And as those three things move forward and get solved, that provides more people with an easier route in. And then also what happens is that you'll have a bigger stock of NFTs to purchase, not just art, not just luxury cars, but a range of things. And what keeps me up at night is probably me sitting on the edge of the edge of my bed being excited as to what's to come rather than fretting as to, you know, what will come. Ishwar, what about you? Well, Laurie, actually, I covered one of the main things that keeps me up at night. One of the first is the environmental impact it has. And how, uh, but the more important thing is uh, the interaction of this inter-digital economy with the existing one. 
how it is going to play out because uh, it's a matter of sustainability and stability over a period of time uh, for uh, because yes you have a new digital asset in place but how is it going to impact uh, the uh, the value of dollar over a period of time it's going to affect the larger economy yeah it is. right you uh, adoption is uh, it's it's exponential especially in the, uh, as i think lori mentioned earlier uh, the covid pandemic has just accelerated the way people adopt to digital assets yes. so uh, the government has to step in and if they step in and let's say all of a sudden they uh, they put a moratorium on bitcoin or even the nfts and they think that something is not right over here what will happen to the existing money inside the system a right. lot of people have uh, 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 to your point about stupid liquidity a lot of people have put their money into the nft system and uh, ethereum and uh, all the other things over here so what is going to happen over there? the interactions and the fallout uh, and all the shake up before things settle down is is what sort of uh, both excites me as a researcher but also keeps me as uh, uh, an average citizen because i have a lot of money in nfts as well what will i do over a period of time can they be have can nfts yes be- yes 10 years from now our nfts going to be around and what are they mainly going to be used for what do you think is for i really wish they transform into something uh, a little bit more reasonable it's not it's uh, i wish they are not focused on just artwork and uh, there's a better way to mint these nfts my problem with nfts is that it it's expensive number one and it is highly carbon intensive so yeah. we cannot sustain a world where we are burning carbon so much uh, just for the sake of uh, digital art even though i have high praise for art uh, so I hope that things change and uh, we find a better technological way to implement these things and have artwork but uh, there are much much uh, bigger applications uh, or use cases there for nft uh, one of them is uh, the patent system uh, the other one could be academic publishing knowledge sharing i'm hoping that the system would change uh, from what it was it's it's a toy now i want it want it to become an actual thing Carla, what do you think? Do you think artists are going to be dabbling in this 10 years from now? I think so. I think it's complicated now. And it's also, um, I think, the safety factor, the understanding of that clearinghouse that we talked about earlier on before Lori got in. Where does one go to even create that contract and create that token? And then who becomes and how does, how does that entity, the Christie's, or the uh the 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 intermediary how does that all work and i think once it becomes easier for people to understand it's a little bit like cryptocurrency right now what are we going to really purchase a, a, a fraction of bitcoin or what what was it Dor- doge dogecoin <laughs> that elon musk you know yeah, right. oh my gosh it, 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 it broken half overnight. So, you know, I don't know. I think we need to understand more about blockchain technology that the every, you know, the artists are not like you said earlier, we we most of us tend to uh we need a step-by-step process here and we have to feel that these things are safe because the art market has never been a safe place for artists. Lori, in 10 years, it will be that NFTs for many different things, certainly not just art. And I think, you know, music is one area I I also think in 10 years on what you'll see is that these pieces these NFTs will be used f- uh, as financial instruments. I think w- what tends to happen at a retail level is that you know as as more people adopt 
pieces of technology. And, and we saw this in Bitcoin. It happened at a retail level and then eventually it reached a certain scale and then institutions really started getting interested in it. And then the regulators had to get interested in it because of the impact to the overall financial system. And with NFTs, if it reaches a certain scale, it will then be, okay, is there an opportunity here at an institutional level to help, you know, um, for BY Mellon, for, for our clients, we'll provide services around NFTs. Um, what other, what other purposes can those NFTs serve if we're custodying them? It goes back to that collateral point. So I don't think that's going to be today or tomorrow, but I think that's, that's something that will happen over time. I think we're at the start of the journey. Uh, if anything, we're, we're maybe coming towards the beginning uh, or the end of the beginning, but we're no means um, at, the, at the beginning of the end um, when it comes to NFTs. It's my podcast, so I get to go last. New technology is seductive. It gets you thinking about endless possibilities. Techno geeks creating and spending millions on digital art is a bit like fashion designers creating originals for the Paris runway. The designers and models get a lot of publicity, but your spouse ain't wearing that on date night. It's not practical. When moving from theoretical possibility to practical solution, I'd like to ask two questions. First, whose problem does this solve? And if it does solve the problem, is the solution economically efficient? The Fisher Pen Company allegedly spent a million dollars developing a pen that could write in space, but astronauts used pencils. Carla and Ishwar helped me to understand what problem NFTs solve for the creator. It allows them to capture some of the appreciation and value of their creation in the resale market. But as Carla noted, creators need to understand and trust that the private guarantor of this contract will still be around and able to enforce this agreement at the time of resale. And since fees are high and tokenization is environmentally irresponsible, it seems like a good option only for a small number of relatively well-known creators, not the masses. Lori is a classic early adopter. He gave us three motives for potential buyers. Most fundamentally, NFTs have created a market by solving the ownership problem. You don't want to purchase the digital equivalent of the Brooklyn Bridge from some scammer. Access and community are tougher sells for me. People want to be part of communities and will pay for access and exclusive events. But NFTs seem like a gimmicky solution to a problem with simpler known solutions like VIP tickets. This leaves access via fractionalization. Fractionalized tokens may make it easier than putting together a syndicate to purchase an expensive asset. But I'm not sure at what price point a fractional NFT is worth the cost of mining it. And there are a host of legal issues here that will need to be resolved. In the end, I favor an explanation for the rise of NFTs offered by Anil Dash, one of its creators, in a recent article in The Atlantic. NFTs for high-priced art represent one of the few places people holding a lot of cryptocurrency can cash in their investment. They can't buy expensive yachts. They can't buy Teslas, depending on the day. But they can buy high-priced techno art from artists. This will allow famous artists to get richer and retain some of the rights at resale. But the masses of artists and investors, well, they're likely to be left behind. Ishwar called NFT a toy. I would add, a toy for the rich, at least for the foreseeable future. 
So what's your take? Check us out online and share your thoughts at business.ucf.edu slash podcast. You can also find extended interviews with our guests and notes from the show. Special thanks to my interim producer, Erica Hodges, who can't get rid of this gig fast enough. Kenny Butcher, who helped us make this podcast possible. And the whole team at the Office of Outreach and Engagement here at the UCF College of Business. And thank you for listening. Until next time, charge on. Star.